morning, folks. Welcome back to the big show. You are listening to Frankly Speaking Radio, heard planet-wide here on the Republic Broadcasting Network, our website, www.franklyspeakingradio.com. And, of course, the phone number, as always, is 1-800-313-9443. Uh, we have our guest on the line. Before we do that, a quick uh, phone call here. We'll squeeze in from Chuck in Arkansas. Chuck, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, good morning, Frank. Good morning. I just wanted to say that's another sign of high technology slipping through our hands. What's There's that? I can't even get my Social Security card to laugh through anything. Yes, know? it's pretty amazing, is it not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I am glad to hear that, you know, people are starting to wake up. Yeah. I think people realize that with the, no matter how bad people are, there will always be good people just equal and I'm out. Yes. You know, that form of balance. But I just want to say God bless you, Frank. Great job, and keep spreading the word, baby. Uh, Chuck, you're 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 wonderful. Thank you for the call. Um, you know, folks, that's what it's all about. Is we have to keep each other uh, lifted up in this time. We have to keep each other supported and uh, and shored up because uh, God knows it's a difficult, difficult process. And uh, my guest knows that uh, probably better than anybody else. Um, he's been uh, certainly out there in the truth movement for a very long time. His information is extensive. Uh, things uh, a wide variety of different subject matter, and, and we've already heard several callers today talking about uh, the the vast array of knowledge that our guest has today. Um, it's a difficult process to know this information. It's a difficult process to hear it for the first time. Uh, so a lot of people don't um, they don't come back from something like that. You know, they 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 learn something about this, and then they. They can't process it, and they try to go back to sleep, but they know it, and they can't unknow it, so they kind of lose their mind and just turn into weirdos. Uh, that happens with a lot of people. But uh, those of us who have survived, you know, it's hard to even know this stuff and continue to exist in this world as it is, uh, as they would have us believe that it is. Uh, take it a step further. How hard is it to try to take some action to make this world uh, a better place, to try to spread the truth, to try to make a difference? It's extraordinarily difficult uh, as a talk show host. I, I know this, and my guest knows it as well. Um, it's also extraordinarily difficult to stay <laughs> a talk show host, which uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, for the most part, folks, um, this show is not going to last forever, okay? That we in the talk show hosting uh, world are not going to be around forever. Make your connections. Uh, get your information out there. Network with people while you can. Cannot stress that enough. Our phone number eight hundred three one three nine four four three, and the website franklyspeakingradio.com. Uh, our guest website is www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com. He has uh, really just been a, a source of inspiration to so many people out there. Uh, I got a call last week, and somebody said, "You got to have this guy. And he's incredible." Uh, that was followed up by several emails from all over the world confirming this. Uh, which was great. It's great to know that people are paying attention all over the world. It's great to know people are listening all over the world. And uh, I contacted Alan, and, and we spoke on the phone. He's in the middle of some big projects, uh, projects you can read about at his website. And we're excited to have him here to get his assessment on this incredibly uh, perfectly timed day uh, in the midst of uh, the first-ever red alert status here in uh, the United States um, and certainly in the U.K. as well. Of course, their program has only been implemented nine days ago. Alan Watt, my guest today, welcome to the program, sir. It's a pleasure to be on. It's a pleasure to have you here, an honor, in fact. Um, what are your thoughts about the news this morning? I presume you've been watching it. I, I heard it this morning, and I, I, I was expecting something. 
<clears throat> because whenever we tend to go back to sleep or, or public uh, interest in this ongoing uh, a war tends to fade, uh, something has to happen to get us back into the, the mode of, of, of thinking about it and listening to them. Uh, so, yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. And we haven't really got the details yet as to who these 21 guys are. Are, are they teenagers like the last bunch or the bunch they got in Toronto yeah. uh, that were chatting on the internet then the RCMP gave them explosives then arrested them um, we don't know the, the details on this yet but it's a huge PR stunt for sure and uh, is to get Britain into this, this ongoing terrorism mode just like George Orwell gave us in 1984 and that book used to be studied in every school uh, of a future time where the public would be kept in complete terror all the time by uh, uh, explosions going around, around uh, all around them and uh, the government in, in total charge of everything that's what we're seeing now that this war is to change the whole world uh, it's to is to bring in a standard system worldwide and uh, in the communist theology uh, which really was funded by the by the, the elite of Britain, they said that in a global society, in order to maintain order over the public, they would have to find terrorism within, since they'd have no real enemies without. And that would be the only way they could maintain their, their, their control over the general public. So sure. we're, we're seeing this start all now. That is what this is all about. Oh, absolutely, and uh, you know that that mindset echoes uh, so often in other areas. First of all, the Patriot Act uh, implemented the Patriot Act all applied only to American citizens. Uh, the predominant terrorist threat in this country was deemed uh, the Animal Liberation Front and the Earth Liberation Front, not Al Qaeda in America, as they of course have their sequels in, in Iraq and in other places. Um, we've also seen the Patriot Act being used uh, when John Ashcroft did his little speaking engagement tour and went around and spoke to lawyers and to, to, to police officers, law enforcement officials. He told them that they could apply the Patriot Act in terms of regular uh, non-terrorism-related crimes in order to get stricter sentences. There was a, an individual who was uh, building a pipe bomb in the front seat of his car. The bomb exploded. He survived, so uh, you'd think it probably wasn't that big of a deal, but yet he was charged with making a weapon of mass destruction. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was uh, the, there was a guy who was uh, prosecuted under terrorism legislation for making chemical weapons when he was just doing uh, a meth lab and was able to be charged with, you know, 10, 20 times the uh, jail time that he normally would have been able to have gotten just on a drug-related charge. Yeah. yeah. So you're right. It's it's about uh, fostering this sense of unease and, and distrust at home among our own citizens. Sure. This is the the new Soviet system, but it's worldwide. Yeah. And it's interesting too that Gorbachev. Um, and you can find the speech that he gave to the Politburo before he came over to be the champion of the Green guys in the, the U.S. Uh, he told the Politburo that shortly, he said, you will hear that communism is over and dead. He said, don't believe it. He said, we're simply expanding into the next phase. And then you couple that with... Um, uh, the, the, the Rees report that found that the Ford Foundation, Carnegie Foundations, and the big foundations in the U.S. were working to blend the Soviet system with the American system, and it all starts to make sense to you when a guy like Gorbachev, who was the top of the KGB, then the president of the Soviet Union, ends up working in the United States uh, for the globalists 
this all makes perfect sense. We're simply emerging into the next stage of a well-laid plan, laid long ago. Uh, even when they set up the League of Nations, they said that this would eventually lead to a world government. And they discussed at that time the same problems. How do we keep the public in a, an ultra-socialized system? with a, a massive bureaucracy taking care of things, how do we get the public to obey? And they said they would need something like internal terror everywhere since they would have no natural enemies in any countries. And that's what we're, we're getting set up for right now. Sure, sure. Uh, and I think that, you know, initially there was some sort of uh, opposition to these things. Um, and perhaps it's a, a certain degree of maybe racial sensitivity. I don't know. But I remember after September 11th, there was the idea of that, um, of that program, I think it was called the TIPS program, in which um, landlords, um, postal workers, utility workers would, would sort of, uh, you know, put the feelers out there and kind of spy on people a little mm -hmm. bit and then report back. And, and the only reason it didn't happen uh, was because the post office didn't endorse it. Now, uh, it, it does make you wonder, uh, because then, of course, you got the anthrax mailings, and, mm -hmm. you know, sort of like, uh, you better you better toe the line, you better uh, follow orders here or else. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is that, that mindset of breeding that distrust to, to change into this Pavlovian reward system for ratting people out. And that's, again, the Soviet system. See, the Soviet system yeah. was laboratory for the world, and uh, the... They tried this uh, there. They they, um, they they tested the, the, their employees all the time, general employees, by setting them up uh, so they'd see something happening that looked suspicious, then sitting back to see if they would report it. Uh, uh, and this is a sort of test that were, were done on them. And this is the same sort of thing they'll eventually implement here on uh, various uh, workers, like like postal workers, or. or or UPS workers or guys who simply come to repair your telephone or whatever, uh, they'll set them up with a scenario to see if they're loyal and if they will report it. And that furthers the, the, the distrust within everyone. Everyone's terrified they're being tested all the time. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I never really even thought about that. Yeah. And that, that's what George Orwell said. He said, in an age of universal deception, telling the truth is a revolutionary uh, event. So you'd be classed as a revolutionist if you're actually, or a terrorist if you're a person who does tell the truth. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. What, what are your thoughts on this uh, this new legislation just discussed yesterday? Of course, hardly making a blip in the in the news, but uh, perhaps not going to now, given this uh, state of of the news uh, cycle today. About this legislation that would label uh, pretty much anyone at, at, at the president's discretion to be a terrorist in any group, a terrorist group. But that I was waiting for it. Yeah, I was waiting for it because it's, on the one hand it will disperse uh, general groups that, that simply are truth speakers or, or investigators. Um, it will also tell reporters as well to be to really toe the line. I mean, most of them already do, but uh, uh, for the occasional one here or there, it'll make them think twice before they tell the truth about something. Yes, yeah. an excellent point. Uh, Alan, if I can ask you to hang on. Folks, stay with us. We'll be back in about three minutes with more Frankly Speaking Radio with our special guest, Alan Watt. Please stay right here. Good morning. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you with us here today. It is uh, the 10th of August, about 8.23 a.m. here in the Central Time Zone. 
Uh, you're listening to Frankly Speaking Radio. Website, franklyspeakingradio.com. Phone number 800-313-9443. Our guest today, his website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Uh, please welcome to the program, Alan Watt. Alan, thank you again. Um, you know, I, I just came across a story uh, this morning. Very interesting one, in fact. Uh, and I think it ties into something you just mentioned. It's from the AFP, and it says, Some 30% of Americans cannot say in what year the September 11th terrorist attacks against New York's World Trade Center and the Pentagon in Washington took place, according to a poll published in the Washington Post newspaper. Now, you mentioned that you felt that there was a uh, something in the works. You were waiting to see this expansion of anti-terrorism legislation. And you also mentioned about people. you got to wait till people kind of forget. Is that maybe what's been going on is you had to give it some time. You had to uh, let people remember what it felt like to have the terror alert raised up, what it felt like to have breaking news on CNN that, that affected uh, Americans you know, as opposed to somewhere in the Middle East. Yeah, that, that's the technique they used. Uh, <clears throat> they did polls in the U.S. and they were published in Canada, and this was uh, about 2003. Uh-huh. And what they found was, even though the president, during the inquiry into the invasion of Iraq, and he, it was on national television here, they showed us President Bush and the, the, the panel on the board and, and the inquiry, and he said, I, he said, I never said that... Uh, Iraq had anything to do with the bombing of, of 9-11. He said, I just wanted to get uh, Saddam Hussein out the way because he was a bad man and the world is better off without him. And yet, just after that, they did the survey of polls in the U.S., published them in Canada, and they said that the media had done such a fantastic job on the U.S. citizenry that the average citizen thought that Saddam Hussein was behind the 9-11 bombing. Wow. They totally reversed it by, by simply repetition, innuendo, and propaganda. And so we're under an amazing, amazing psychological war going on right now. Well, that's that's also a fascinating angle to explore because we still see uh, people believing that uh, that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and see, these guys can lie and lie because they don't mind about the initial lie being found out eventually because they've achieved most of their goals. They're in those countries, and it's always standard in wartime that once you, you have troops there, no matter if you get another party in and government, they'll say, well, we've got to keep them there because there'll be chaos if we pull out now. So the initial lie has, has achieved its goal, you see, yeah. and that's how it works. Um, this is standard procedure uh, done through the ages with, with government policies in wartime. At the top of the hour here, we were discussing sort of uh, how we see all the same tricks. And, and i got to admit, Alan, I'm, I'm shocked that mm-hmm. they would even try this. But we're seeing all the same tricks being trotted out in order to implicate Iran. And, of course, in regards to this, uh, this, this threat, uh, this airline threat this morning, um, they're saying it, it has an international signature. It has all the uh, all the, the the hallmarks of an Al Qaeda plot. Um, it looks to me like in the next couple of days uh, they're going to be revealing an international connection, a foreign country that mm-hmm. that somehow financed or helped plot this whole thing. Uh, do you think it will be Iran? Do you think that uh, that they're going to continue to build this case using again the same pages from the old playbook? There's no doubt. Uh, the, the, the policy or the project for the new American century that was put together initially in 92 by Wolfowitz and Pearl and a whole bunch of them, um, and then it was rewritten about 97 and republished again, did have those targets down, starting with Afghanistan and then Iraq, 
then Iran, then Syria. That was their order of attack that they wanted to, to take over the Middle East. And now this is a private organization, although they're all in politics now. Um, we should remember that was their agenda at that time. So this is a, uh, a plan which they cannot turn back on. And it's not just their plan, it's a global plan. Uh, Britain's heavily involved in it. The Council on Foreign Relations has been pushing for this world agenda, uh, a global uh, society for years, for about a hundred years. And, uh, and they've come out openly and talked about the unification of Americas that was their agenda. They drafted it up. They put it forward for the politicians to sign. They've been on the news here as the Council on Foreign Relations uh, talking about this openly. Uh, so, so this is a world, uh, this is a world movement that's going on. It's a war to change the entire world, and out of the ashes will come, come their, their, their utopia, their new world order, which is going to be a hell on earth for all the rest of us, because it's a totally socialized system that's coming into play, where uh, the age of reason is supposed to take over, with an intelligentsia at the top working for a fascist-type elite, a rich, wealthy class, and the masses below them that will be bred like animals for different functions and tasks, and you will have no choice in anything. You're schooling uh, marriage partners or anything. This is, the, this is the system they've written about for, for a long, long, long time. Yeah. It's, the, it's the, all to emerge out of the ashes of this uh, ongoing war, which could last up to 50 years or more, you know. Wow. But by that time, we'll be so worn down with it, so worn down, we'll submit yeah. to anything. Yeah, well, at any at any level, I mean, people get become accustomed to something, and all of a sudden, it's the standard, much like income taxes and whatnot, uh, something mm -hmm. that was temporary and, and has now become a fact of life. You yes. Know, certainty in life, but death and taxes. Alan, stay with us. Uh, we'll be right back, folks, in about three minutes with more Frankly Speaking Radio.
and they, they, they train uh, the recruits uh, to work their whole lives working towards this particular goal. Different sub-departments all are specialized, and that's exactly how the world really is run. Uh, the United States is no different uh, with the State Department, and it's the bureaucracies behind them which are more important than the politicians that are appointed to them, because the lifelong bureaucrats know what their part in, in their agenda happens to be, and they work steadily towards it, and they retire and pass it on to the ones that take over. It's long, long-term planning, and if you read the works of, of uh, guys like the print, uh, Machiavelli, uh, the book The Prince, you, you, you'll find these techniques, or you go into to Francis Bacon. Uh, now, both Machiavelli and Bacon wrote books for the kings uh, to, so that they could be advisors, and in those books, it was like a resume of cunningness, how to fool the people, how the people react to different events, how to use those reactions against the public, and how always how to benefit. These are sciences that, that have been understood within governments for thousands of years. And you'll find it even in the, the, the writings about the Egyptian pharaohs, where the young princes were taught the ways of mankind, the, the nature of man, or, or the general public, we would say today, and, and how they reason. And, and if you understand how they reason, you can manipulate those thoughts, alter perceptions, and guide them along paths which they never suspect are actually um, taking them to some other way of living. These are real sciences that are taught in, in certain areas. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that means that, in essence, the application of science for thousands of years has been solely devoted to uh, the controlling and the oppression of uh, humankind. Always, always. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's always been the way. I, I was astounded going through the different uh, Machiavellian typewriters. There's so many of them in different countries. Every country had them. And they used to have competitions between these advisors to write books to see who was the top dog and, and cunningness. And, and, and sure enough, uh, he would become the chief advisor to a, a king or a queen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting then because uh, subsequently, and you mentioned about you know keeping your eye open for this uh, this, this new anti-terrorism legislation and, and waiting for it to happen, knowing that it was going to. Um, I look at things that, that, that I was talking about several years ago, Alan, um, that are finally, finally, finally starting to creep into semi-mainstream uh, news. But again, years too little and too late. Mm -hmm. um, but as a result of that, I think that what, what I try to do with this show is, is what I call like news forecasting, going through the, the, the news, uh, taking what's in there, what they're saying in their own sources, and sort of saying, this to me means that uh, the idea, the agenda, we know what the agenda is, and we know where we are now. So how many roads can you take to get from point A to point B? So yeah, it's not too far off, I think, in the prediction sense of things. But from what you're saying here, uh, it should be relatively easy, I guess, to predict it if you can understand the basis by which it's always been founded. Always. And if you know where to look, uh, we're so distracted today with entertainment, which is free yeah. to indoctrinate us. But, but uh, just going back into history, and looking up the different world movements, the revolutionary movements which led up to where we are today, uh, behind all of them was to, uh, the plan to unite the world under a particular system. And the elite of uh, Europe chose socialism to dominate the masses, not to help the masses. 
uh, Lenin himself said that communism was preached in three different versions one for the for the masses one for the middle helping class the managerial class and, and the truth would be given to the elite uh, so there were three different versions always preached at the same time uh, that's no different than today uh, it's the same techniques that are being used the media's job is to convey to the masses uh, the simplest explanation um, which is supposed to swallow and be politically correct and repeat it to, their, to others and uh, the media means the middle, that they're the middleman. That's what uh -huh. the media is. And the media has always been an essential part of government control. Uh, the trick was to make you believe it was a free, independent thing, but it's always been an essential art of, uh, arm of government. You cannot put out something into the general public's hands, uh, even the Internet, anything to do with communication, unless you are in charge at the top because you want to make sure that the main propaganda is given out by you, otherwise you lose control. Well, I think that's an excellent point. And you mentioned about this sort of different uh, class system. Mm -hmm. um, the, one of the things that really astounded me was when I was reading about um, Plato and his writings about uh, Atlantis and that there was this, this class society there, this uh, gold silver and bronze classes, and, and the bronze would be the, the majority of the people, the useless eaters. Uh, the silver class would be you know, law enforcement, military, uh, those who seek to uh, exert dominance over the, the bronze class uh, for the benefit of the gold class, the elites, the few, the, uh, the wealthy, the, uh, the, the ones who uh, obviously benefit from the hard work of everyone else. That's right. Um, how much of this is is is, uh, is being implemented today in this regard? I mean, as you mentioned, uh, certainly we all have our own different information streams. Uh, the elites are privy to different knowledge than we are. The media, as you said, is, is, is a great filter to what kind of truths that they want us to know about. Um, how else is that manifest in, in, a, in our society today? It's here. It's always been here. In fact, Plato got it from the Egyptians because he was educated in Egypt. Oh, okay. as were all the elite of Greece and uh, he wasn't really talking just about a, a future world uh, perfect utopia or the republic as he called it um, he, it was already on the go in his day and uh, he was talking about his own class the aristocracy of his own day and how they'd always be in charge down through time and uh, he, called, he called this particular class the guardians and they would be the only ones privy to true knowledge, you see. Uh, all of the knowledge. You, you alter perceptions by giving part of, of a story but withholding the rest of the information. That's how you alter perceptions. And that's mainly the technique that's used on the public. You, you get a completely different picture if part of the information is simply omitted. Uh, the, the guardian class have all of the information. Uh, they're always in charge. And they know that if they don't change society constantly or always have a war on the go or, or terror or something, they themselves lose their purpose, that the general public would just walk away. They wouldn't need uh, a government system if there was no threat from something. So the intention was always to, to create terror. And if you notice that Egypt itself, everybody who went to Egypt, all these old philosophers that became famous, and were initiated into the mysteries, and the mysteries primarily were to do with how to control human behavior. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what it really was about. Um, the, 
the agenda, I guess, would be something to, to along the lines of uh, the secret societies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their agenda is you know the the, the control mechanisms and uh, uh-huh. you know, making sure they're running the show and directing the uh, the, the way that humans will uh, mm-hmm. move and think and act. And, yeah, you can literally. And, and Plato said it. He says we give the people their culture. Yeah. He said there is no culture that comes from the bottom. If it did, it would be out of their control. So they they give the, the culture from the top down. And he says, we do it primarily through drama, through plays, which you had to attend. Everybody in Greece had to attend these traveling shows when they came in. Uh-huh. And uh, he says, we do it through drama, through the fa-, and he called it industry, the fashion industry and the music industry. He says, because the public emulate what they see. Sure. And that's how they change culture, yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and it echoes some things that I was talking about uh, in conjunction with... Um, well, the bird flu, for example, and, and this is something I'm sure you've noticed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the interest of hyping this thing up, of course, they have to say, uh, and they did this uh, not last year, I guess, but maybe the year before, oh, no, we don't have enough vaccines for the regular flu this time around, folks. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to say, first things first, only those who are most at risk should get this. And, and we saw people lining up mm-hmm. for hours and hours and hours, standing in lines at the supermarket to get their flu shot because there's only a limited amount. Yes. It's preposterous, but that's what that supply and demand mindset mm-hmm. uh, breeds, that sort of mob mentality, and, and that thing is absolutely artificial. It's absolutely created. We see it every Christmas time. Oh, no, yes. mm-hmm. this is the big toy of the year, and everybody has to get some, so there's there's lotteries and people standing in lines and parents beating the crap out of each other for the new dolly. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous, but, but people continue to buy into it. And, and it's all manufactured. It's uh, fear, fear and hype. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look at a, at a child maybe who watches a Disney Channel. You mm-hmm. know, they want to go see Disney movies. They want to buy Disney albums. They want to listen to Disney radio. I mean, this is all a, a, a giant um, a programming. I mean, that's why they call television and radio programming for the most part is because the idea is to convince you of something, uh, to buy something, to think a certain way, be a certain way. Um, and so on and so forth. That's why you have, you know, most radio stations have an official position, the station itself. We are a conservative-based uh, talk radio station. We are a liberal-based talk radio mm-hmm. station. It's constant reinforcement. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as you put yourself in a category, you, you, you've just uh, put blinkers on because you, you can't see the whole picture. Right on. And, and they try to encourage everyone to, to pop into a pigeonhole. Yeah. And once you're in a pigeonhole, there's only one view, and that's the, that's the way you came in. You don't see the up, up or down or to the sides. And Plato also wrote about that. He called it was Plato's Cave and Timaeus. And uh, he talks about that, how if you brought people up in a cave who never saw the outside world, they had their backs to the entrance and couldn't ever look back. Uh, then it, their whole philosophy of life, the reality of life, that make up about the shadows that passed as, as the sun went past the mouth of the cave, and what these shadows meant. Uh, and he said that's the, that would be their total reality, all fake, but to them it, it was real as the only one they knew. And then one guy eventually gets out of the cave and goes around the world, comes back and says, hey, there's a whole world out there. And, and those shadows are called by a thing in the sky called the sun. And and they end up trying to kill him. They don't want to hear the truth. Right. It's too foreign to them. It it it, it changes the way uh, they think and, and the way that their society has uh, enforced itself and its uh, its paradigms on them. Absolutely. Wow. So oh, these, these are all sciences that were known in ancient times and have never been forgotten. Uh huh. 
That's so fascinating to me. Uh, it's just amazing to me that someone would devote that much energy and that much effort towards something. Um, you know, it, it just seems kind of pointless to me. I, I just, mm -hmm. I don't know, Alan. I don't have the energy myself. <laughs> yeah, if, but if you were brought up in a class, you see, uh, that depended on maintaining control and living uh, of the labor of others, because that's how they do it. Right. Uh, then you you would teach these as, a, as basic sciences to your children, and it would be quite normal for you, in fact. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Now, um, my take on it has always been uh, the the one constant throughout all of this, with the secret societies and the sciences and the the, the control and and the the idea of shaping the world into this one world government, one world currency, one world religion, has been Luciferian in nature. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your take on that? They definitely have always used Lucifer as the light bringer or knowledge bringer because they are elitists. They believe they have the wisdom and knowledge. Um, and most of them simply use Lucifer as a symbol of intellect. Ah. Um, other ones, of course, there are branches. They don't mind if their own want to, to, to actually believe in Lucifer as an actual deity or figure. They don't mind. But... Uh, most of them simply believe it's, it's intellect pure. In fact, they believe that they are gods themselves, in a sense. Because if God has the power of life and death over others, um, especially today with, with the harp technologies and the ability to cause earthquakes and famines and, and the ability to manipulate insects and cause uh, pestilences and plagues, um, technically they are gods if that's what a god is. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. If you can enact that sort of control, uh, that sort of, uh, you know, a thorn in somebody's side, and you can consistently do that, then, yeah, that, that that's manipulating the world around you, and, and that would be a godlike uh, characteristic, to, yeah, to be sure. Plus, you have the ability now to mandate abortions, uh, which is death, who mm -hmm. lives, who dies. You can genetically modify things, uh, and they're, they're confident they can create life. Uh, from stem cells and they plan eventually to make a, a whole new race of, of workers that that ultimately will, will be programmed like robots and that will be their utopia yeah that's uh, that's pretty frightening now when you mention about creating are you talking about like cloning technology uh, sort of a uh, you know breeding a, a slave race of humans uh, who mm -hmm. basically they're not created by God so therefore they're they're not uh, they're not alive and, and not the mm -hmm. same rights and again taking us all the way back to you know the 1800s of times of slavery yeah this is fascinating really because they understood in the 1800s they were going to get to this stage yeah. And I think the only reason they knew this is because they were way ahead in sciences, and that's another thing with governments. Uh, whatever sciences they give to the public are always obsolete. Yeah. Uh, they're way, way ahead, and yet Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein, mm. uh, to do with this age where they'd use body parts to create uh, life extension and all this kind of stuff. And they had other authors out doing the same kind of thing in similar veins. Um, you had some of the Jewish sects talking about the golem, which is a Talmudic or a Hasidic yeah. or a rabbinical creature, a, a slave created artificially that never complains and is a perfect worker. So they, this striving towards making the perfect worker has always been in the minds of all the elitists. Wow. And yeah, and, and yeah enslaving uh, somebody. And if you can't... You know, create a slave out of the existing population. He'll just make one from the yes. ground up. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with our guest, Alan Watt.
our website, franklyspeakingradio.com. Our guest, his website has a, just a, a wealth of information and products available to you. Uh, I would strongly encourage that you uh, that you go there, that you support this man who's doing such great things. Uh, the website, www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the program, Alan Watt. Alan, thank you again. Yeah, it's good to be here. Well, I'm enjoying our discussion very much. Uh, it's always a pleasure when you when you find that kindred spirit out there who, you know, is is, is certainly uh, able to fill in so many gaps on so many areas uh, for you, as you were doing for me. And uh, and I love that because obviously you and I have you know a lot of the same takes on some of these things. But with uh, with your research, though, it's it's making it make a lot more sense to me. So I thank you for that. Um, when we left off, we were just talking about this uh, enslavement agenda, um, and we talked about the Luciferian nature of this and how all this ties in. And certainly, it's it's being able to to gauge the value of life and and therefore the value of death. Uh, do you think some of this life extension technologies and some of the things we've talked about um, on this show before? I'm sure you've addressed it as well. Things like uh, genetic manipulation. Uh, sort of uh, being able to put some sort of uh, cybernetic implants perhaps in the human body to make it last longer. It's always been my take uh, on this, Alan, is that the, the powers that be, the, the people, the politicians, the uh, the world leaders, um, they, they probably know uh, Scripture and they probably know about the existence of God and believe it more so than most uh, Christians and, and, and very devout religious followers do. But they, they understand it. They believe it because... Uh, it's my take on it that they're they're terrified of uh, of having the possibility that there is this afterlife, that there is this judgment. And I think they would do anything they could to uh, preserve their own safety, their own lives, or extend their own lives, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. In, in the 1700s, they wrote about this a lot. Really? Because uh, that they, they knew uh, where they were going. They really didn't know where they were going uh, with life extension. And in fact, the Rosicrucians, uh, the first real Masonic movement that came out in the 1500s in Britain and, and, and didn't originate there. It had been on the go for probably thousands of years, but that was this new name for Britain. Uh, they talked about this, this goal, and they made sure that, that those who joined it and worked hard towards the great work, as they called it, would be given life extension, and, and that was in the 16th century. Wow. So uh, that was a little, a little carrot there for the, for the workers, and we certainly see it with these uh, lifelong, uh, dedicated players like Maurice Strong and Kissinger and, and these types. They never retire. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Benjamin Franklin was the same. He was a member of it, uh, and he was traveling uh, across the world in these old ships, sailing ships, uh, well into his 70s, uh, just as dedicated through, through his latter years as he was when he was young. And these guys are all the same. They never get tired of their agenda. It's like a religious fanaticism that they have. And they, they do live very healthy lives right up until the end, and they live for a good age. Uh, they never put their feet up and retire and go fishing when they're 60. Uh, they're, they're multi-millionaires, and they, so they certainly could do it. Uh, but no, they're driven. They're actually driven uh, for a cause and, and for a group to which they belong and to something which they've sworn uh, a total allegiance to. Uh, so that's what's unusual. You'll only find that kind of dedication and religious fanaticism. So it is a particular esoteric religion here, yeah. Wow. Um, My friend, it's been a very exciting hour. I look forward to next hour. Folks, please uh, bear with us while we pause. 
for station identification for our affiliates, uh, then we shall return with the fourth and final hour of Frankly Speaking Radio right after this.
close to the uh, five-year anniversary of September 11th uh, mm -hmm. to the point where we need to be reminded and we need to be basically uh, have the scab ripped open uh, one, one more time just to keep us all in line. Uh, that too, plus I think, uh, you see, as the United States helps to finish off the job that it began, the world order, uh, it will be submerged into the new system, so they have to show how corrupt it is at the moment as we go oh, through okay. it. Yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll pick this up after the break here, my friends. Uh, please stay with us. Uh, more from our guest, Alan Watt, more Frankly Speaking Radio in three minutes. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. Glad you're here. You're listening to Frankly Speaking Radio. Um, they had a little blurb there from uh, Governor uh, Mitt Romney from Massachusetts saying that uh, there will be a National Guard presence at Logan Airport uh, there in Boston. Uh, and they will have automatic weapons, so that should make you feel nice and safe and secure. Uh, welcome back to our guest, Alan Watt. Uh, thank you again for your time. Yeah, it's good to be here. What are, what are your thoughts on all these things? I mean, it, it's just changing uh, every few minutes, um, and mm -hmm. they just keep showing more and more uh, little tidbits of truth. Yes, I know. But they also have to show us how insecure we all are, yes. with, and without them, and what a great job they're doing. <laughs> uh, that's prime, you see. We've got to understand that, we, that technically on our own we're helpless. We're just totally helpless. We need experts to guide us and advise us and tell us when to sit down, stand up, and put your hands in the air. Uh, that's, right. that's what it's all about, is training the public uh, into this new system of uh, direct, uh, immediate uh, obedience, really. Yeah. Wow. Well, in regards to all the things that have been happening and developing, I mean, um, it would seem that the, the idea is to, as you just said there, uh, foster and facilitate this idea of helplessness to the point where, um, you know, when people have to make that fight or flight sort of uh, decision subconsciously, mm -hmm. they may choose to fight. And, and then you can galvanize the, uh, you know, the, the people with the spirit to fight mm -hmm. into uh, some sort of revolution, some sort of riot or civil war, something that, of course, can be used to uh, clamp down on uh, all the, you know, the, 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 those with the potential, I guess, to cause problems, uh, you know, when they don't want a civil war. Yeah, it, it, what's interesting is that uh, the revolutionary movement, uh, which started really with England, the English Revolution, uh, and with the Rosicrucians behind it, and then other subsequent ones uh, were guided by Freemasonry, you'll find that uh, the rabble, the mob on their own, are called a rabble because they have no organization or a nuclear plan as to where they're going with it. That's why they always lose. Whereas uh, the Freemasonic revolutions that, that guided things, uh, Albert Pike wrote about that, and he said, he says, we never fail in a revolution because we never begin a premature revolution. That's the key to it. They can take generations to organize the public, the mindset, the training, uh, train the leaders, and they've got to have leaders for these things. So they know that, the, 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 that there could never be a successful revolution by just the mob, the mass, as they call it, the rabble, because they have no guidance. And sure enough, the Freemasonic movements have brought us to where we are, because behind Freemasonry is this elitist uh, idea the idea of an elite intelligentsia with the right to rule the unenlightened masses. Wow. It's very elitist, yeah. Now, 
whenever you start talking about foreign intrigue and, and uh, of course, in this time, uh, as you had mentioned earlier, the project for New American Century Nations, um, and the ones that we hear about in the news all the time, Iran, Syria, uh, of course, Israel, Lebanon, um, Venezuela, Cuba, all of these things uh, have, of course, the, the interconnected uh, hub there, which is the United Nations. What role has the United Nations played thus far, and what what are they? Uh, what will be the role here in the in the future? They'll have to show uh, how incompetent the countries are. Ultimately, once they've almost achieved their goal of uh, taking over the rest of the Middle East, because the world is simply being standardised into the one system. That's we saw that in Iraq, because the United Nations were the first in once Iraq was over and done with. And the, and the first uh, organization that came in uh, after the inoculations, which are really good for dumbing us down, uh, was UNESCO. Because UNESCO was set up to create a standardized culture amongst the children who grew up to be the adults. And uh, it was interesting that Aldo Huxley's brother was the first CEO of UNESCO. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so they knew that, that was the whole idea. So they were the first in after Iraq, after the inoculations, to train the first generation because you can bypass the, the adults. You go for the children and train them in the Western values, uh, central banking, debt system, uh, strip clubs, pornography, drugs, uh, and television. And then you've got them a nice passive, dumbed-down population uh, who are always in debt, you know. Uh, that's the system they're standardizing uh, across the planet. So the only holdouts that we have at the moment are those particular target uh, countries thereafter. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because I, uh, I was listening to, uh, oh, I don't remember. It may have been Paul Harvey, Harvey the other morning. He said that uh, in a poll uh, taken of, you know, most of the young people there in Iraq, when asked if they could have one thing, what would it be? Most of them said a cell phone. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. You know, integrating that uh, that corporate culture there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too with the United Nations, we've seen a lot of celebrities uh, adopted as a sort of uh, ambassador, uh, some yeah. sort of representative to the UN. Angelina Jolie, Jay Z, uh, a whole slew of actors and musicians yeah. uh, whose sole purpose has been to uh, you know spread the gospel of the United Nations and show how wonderful they are. Mm-hmm. You see, the United Nations came up uh, really from an idea. At least it was first written about by one of the prime socialists in the 1700s. And um, uh, even the communist ideas borrowed from St. Simon. And uh, he wrote, and he said, this new structuralized system of the masses being taken care of and ordered by an elite group of intelligentsia, he said, uh, will be run at the top with the guys who understand economics and so the banking industry, the international bankers would be at the top of it and communism adopted that entire structuralized system that he, he brought forward. Uh, so this is an old, an old idea and, and they did bring it to fruition and all the left-wingers think that, 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 that socialism is for the workers, it's nothing to do with that at all. Uh, it's a scientific system where, where the elites will uh, use an intelligentsia and a bureaucracy to dominate them and order the world properly. Uh, that's what it's all about. Now, the United Nations, um, they tried a few different uh, world meetings before that. They had the Concert of Europe and, and different uh, associations in the 1700s leading up to the League of Nations. And the League of Nations at that time it was not a failure at all. 
the same bureaucracy that was set up as a League of Nations, and they boasted openly at the time in all their books that this was to become world government. Uh, it was not hidden. Um, they simply transformed into the United Nations. The important thing was to get World War One off the go to validate the need for a League of Nations. And uh, sure enough, uh, they achieved their goal. Now, for every bureaucracy you have in uh, a state government or a uh, federal government, you have the equivalent bureaucracy at the United Nations. There's not a facet of your life that they do not have a bureaucracy for. All your building codes across the planet for, for years now uh, have been coming from the United Nations and rubber stamped right down at your local level. So they're already in charge of, of an awful lot. Uh, the World Health Organization are the ones behind the push for total inoculations. And the League of Nations were the first group in 1917 that said they'd inoculate every single person on the planet for every disease that there was. And yet the same League of Nations had a Department of Population Control that discussed using inoculations to sterilize the public, which is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this has been on the go for a long time. Yeah, it's uh, like the eugenics movement. Yes. Now they don't call it eugenics anymore. They call it bioethics committees. Uh. It's the same thing. It's the same yeah. thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. You know, uh, in regards to the UN, it's been interesting to kind of see how they... Um, you know, to, to anticipate how they're going to progress, um, I've seen a lot of uh, detriment, uh, you know, towards the UN, and I'm all for that. Anytime the UN is for something, I tend to be against it. Mm -hmm. So yep. even when somebody that I, I don't necessarily trust or endorse, like George Bush, says that the United Nations has not accomplished anything, uh, or the uh, cons conservative right-wing talk show hosts say that the UN is, is impotent, uh, I love that. I think that's great. However, I think what they're angling for is uh, is, is to basically violate uh, the U.N. mandates and, and a variety of different things, including like we saw with Iraq and, and uh, subsequent wars as well, mm -hmm. um, to the point where the U.N. says, look, we have to, uh, we have to find some way to, uh, to stop uh, the Americans from their empire building and, and maybe even stopping an American with another American. Do you, do you anticipate something like uh, maybe a, a Bill Clinton uh, secretary generalship? It's very possible. Uh, however, I think I think it's going according to plan at the moment. The U.S. is to fulfill this mission, uh, standardize the world, and then all the corruption and intrigue that led up to it in the first place will be totally exposed. And then they'll say, look, we need a brand new system, which falls right in with the U.N. agenda. We've got to submit to, to world government because we just, we just can't handle it on a national basis. We're just too corrupt nationally, yeah. Yeah. That fits right in with the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on uh, other ways to maybe, uh, at least some of the ideas perhaps that have been floated out about ways to, uh, to, to facilitate this one world government? I've heard a great many things. Uh, the report from Iron Mountain suggests uh, hoaxing, um, a threat upon the people, much mm -hmm. like an extraterrestrial threat. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Stephen Greer from the Disclosure Project mentions that after the wars, uh, without boundaries, a sort of war against terrorism have been fought, uh, then it will expand to a, a, a threat from outside yeah. uh, the planet where we would have to unite to fight some hoaxed off-world threat. Yeah, that. the first person to introduce that idea was John Dewey. Hmm. Uh, he was the first one who said that if we could only find an extraterrestrial threat, something from outer space would all pull together and submit to world government. 
and and then that was put into effect through through uh, science fiction writers. I don't know if people realise that the Rothschild Foundation in England uh, in the in the 1800s were the first ones to finance authors if they'd write science fiction stories. I, along I have to interrupt here, Alan. I'm sorry. I want to hear more. Um, stay with us, folks. We'll be yeah. back in three minutes. Computers and uh, even talking computers, which were still to be given yet, 
Yeah. Although they showed them, the Japanese had them back in the 60s, but they simply didn't sell them. Wow. So, yeah, this is stuff that they already had and would be eventually used with the public down the road. Uh, they never give us any innovation until it's time for us to have it, and it's always obsolete by the time we're given it. But this whole idea of uh, downloading us uh, into predictive programming, especially through fiction, it has been tremendously successful. And in the 1960s, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is the British and British Commonwealth branch of the CFR, it's all the same group, um, they had at major meetings in England uh, over a period of about a month, and the whole topic that was written about in the papers at the time was, was, was who is to, to guide the world along the new culture should be given to, to the, the English to do with their film studios, their type of format, or should Hollywood be given the, the right to create culture for the world society. And, that, and it was decided at the end that Hollywood was to be given that task. Wow. And that's why Hollywood has, they are the culture creators. Yeah. And that's why Susan Saradin used that term when she spoke out on stage at one of the award uh, ceremonies on 9-11. She, she used the Soviet term. The Soviets used this term because the actors knew they were to create culture. That was their job and alter culture by the, the, the performances. And she says, we, the culture creators of Hollywood, cannot stand by and allow this to happen. So that's the job of Hollywood. We think we're being entertained, we're being yeah. downloaded with ideas that guide us along a certain path of thinking. Wow. Yeah. So if, uh, if Hollywood and subsequently America was responsible for television movies for the most part, mm -hmm. uh, would you say that, uh, that, that the British uh, were responsible for the music side of it? Initially they were, absolutely. Uh, Martin was way ahead in that field, yeah. Mm -hmm. If I can, I'm sorry, Alan, I have to interrupt again. Uh, folks, we're up to another break. Time is flying by. Uh, we'll be back in three minutes, and uh, we'll try to fit in some of your phone calls as well. Our phone number, of course, 800-313-9443. Stay with us. More Frankly Speaking Radio with our guest, Alan Watt, when we return. you're here with us today. It's Thursday and you're listening to Frankly Speaking Radio. Um, our website, franklyspeakingradio.com. Uh, our guest website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It's Alan Watt. Welcome back to the show, sir. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. I'm enjoying it very much and I really appreciate all the, all of the time that you've set aside for us this morning. I know you're you got a lot of stuff going on and working on a new film, which I want to talk about here in a minute. But uh, we left off, we were just discussing uh, the British role, I guess, as far as the, the, the control mechanisms of music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they, they had uh, set up Tavistock uh -huh. at the beginning of the 1900s. They used it extensively in World War I uh, to put out uh, radio programs, dramas, which left you every day with a cliffhanger so you tune in the next day. And the whole thing was geared to make the young guys think the war was glorious and more of them would sign up and go off and fight. So it was used from the very beginning to get people to do things they wouldn't normally do. Uh, so that technique flourished and they experimented heavily with ways of mind control by using uh, uh, wires in, in, in patients' brains uh, and implants as far back as the 1960s. And uh, we find that uh, Aldo Huxley himself worked for Tavistock 
and he of course was also a big uh, sci-fi type writer so they used these guys to uh, to work in the real establishments and get the ideas of where they're going and corporate into stories and then sell the idea to the public as a positive thing and he in the 1930s came out uh, in the 1930s he came out with Brave New World a long time ago yeah. of a society where people would be basically uh, grown in test tubes and grown in laboratories uh, with as many arms or hands for their tasks. Um, they would be sexually stimulated through chemicals. They wouldn't need sex as we know it. Um, a completely different culture and, and, and a caste system of, of different creatures right up to the elites at the top. Uh, he was all for this agenda. And he was a complete elitist. His, his grandfather was the, the best friend of Charles Darwin, another high, high Freemason, because all Charles Darwin did w w was come out with the Freemasonic religion, which is a, a really ancient form of Hinduism, uh, basically of to do with evolution and reincarnation. Uh, so here's the Huxleys right into the 1960s giving speeches at Berkeley, which you can find on my site. And, uh, and Huxley said he saw no, no reason why a scientifically-led uh, dictatorship could not survive indefinitely because he said the reason that the old uh, empires failed was that they couldn't supply enough bread and circuses to the public, meaning entertainment. Yes. But with a scientifically-controlled system leading eventually, he meant to uh, total mind control through uh, inserts and, and etc. chips. Uh, they could literally run the world forever with perfect peace. They wouldn't wow. need the media, they wouldn't need entertainment and sports or any of this stuff. They wouldn't have to worry about rebellion. Uh, uh, people would be, be very good robots just programmed for this utopia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, especially with uh, this sort of instant gratification culture we have now. Yes. I mean, uh, uh -huh. everything's quick. There's no, uh, uh -huh. you know, and, and, and and I'm, I'm 31, Alan, so I'm only speaking from what I can gather uh, certain things were like. But, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> back in when television, I guess, was first uh, was first out and, and radio as well, you know, you had your particular stations and your particular programs. Now, gosh, they've got hundreds mm -hmm. and hundreds of stations and hundreds and hundreds of, of, of those stations uh, are 24-hour programming. Yeah. Same thing with, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, radio, uh, as far as local radio and, and Internet radio and satellite radio and all sorts of things. So there's never going to be a glut of entertainment. Uh, mm -hmm. As you said, like, the circus is always is always on somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it truly is indoctrination because you take a topic that conflicts with the culture, you wrap it up in a comedy show, you, sh you show the person as being very human with similar problems as you have in certain areas. You identify with the person, and then, then eventually you start to see that whatever they're actually into, sexually or otherwise, is just another way of living. And, and that's how you, you, you start to accept these things, wow. these cultural changes. That's fascinating. Yeah. You know, we talked about the media, we've talked about entertainment, we've talked about the news, we've mm -hmm. talked about, uh, you know, politicians and whatnot. What are your thoughts on the churches? I mean, surely they have a strong, strong influence in society. Mm -hmm. um, to what level would you, would you anticipate uh, that the churches have been uh, co-opted uh, to facilitate this, uh, this agenda? We, we know that's a fact because all the, the churches that have the tax-free exemptions already have lists of, of subjects they can discuss to the congregation and topics to avoid 
that yeah. comes with the tax-free exemption. And we know also that, that uh, there's a new bill coming through where all ministers are encouraged to actually convince their con congregations that globalism is a good thing yeah. and, and giving up your rights is a good thing. And this is to be taught in the churches. And, of course, they're going to get extra grants if they do this. So they will, most of them will go along with it. Uh, so they're already co-opted, really. Yeah. Well, I've heard uh, from, from various people who have some information on how this thing is going to be implemented, but uh, even in this uh, this bird flu pandemic or some sort of uh, mm -hmm. uh, health-related crisis, uh, the, the churches are going to take one of the lead roles. And, and we've certainly mm -hmm. seen the dry run last year with Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. These uh, faith-based groups uh, who have gotten substantial amounts of money uh, to to, to really fill this role, we'll be planning on um, that will be their role in the event of a bird flu pandemic or some other sort yeah. of health crisis. Yeah, that's right, because what they plan to do is lock down areas and villages, towns, and all the, the usual uh, community-type groups will be part of keeping the people calm and obedient as FEMA and all the major organizations take over wow. and start to run your life. That's the function of it. That's pretty amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. You've been doing this for a long time, and uh, you know you have a lot of people who are, are just huge fans of yours out there. And I got some calls, I guess it was last week, from people who were concerned. Uh, you had some photographs on your site of, of uh, black helicopters. Now, mm -hmm. um, would you? This is not the first time they've bothered you. I know that. Mm -hmm. uh, would you fill us in on some of this? Yeah, well, you're comfortable with. Yeah, this last one was just uh, there was a load. There was two of them. Uh, one was, I think, RCMP, because it was colored, and they have a traditional color uh, scheme on their helicopters, uh -huh. and, the, and the dark one was was with it, and they came right down, almost landed in the driveway, and uh, and then just went round the house. Uh, I don't know if they were taking photographs or, or what they were doing, so that's all that happened there. It could have been a little warning intimidation, but in my old house... Uh, they tried to burn the place down with the same technique one night and I was on the radio at the time and uh, I had to go off because of the noise of the helicopters and uh, my wood fire stove exploded the doors bust open, this flame shot out and I, I got a hose run up the chimney and I could have touched the skid of this helicopter as it slowly moved away uh, it was so close and uh, the flames were just shooting out like a fireworks out of the top of the chimney. I'd cleaned the chimney that, that the previous morning, so it was really spotless. There wasn't a, a chimney fire as such. Uh, right. And it took half an hour or more to put out this fire. I cleaned out the pan at the bottom, this white powder, put it outside. Once it dried off, it burst into flames again. So it was a phosphorus uh, device they put down. Wow. And I thought to myself, you know, this is amazing. I'm out in the country. Who could I complain to? Who would even believe you? Even your local cops wouldn't believe you. Right. So, uh, yeah, that kind of intimidation certainly does go on. Um, I also had uh, a, a black SUV that would come along the road at night when I'm walking the dog. It would turn off the road. I was in a valley. It would turn onto this dirt road that I was on. And it would switch its lights off and just drive right up to me and sit 20 feet away. It stopped. And no one got out. This happened maybe five, six times over over two weeks. And then they'd reverse all the way back, three quarters of a mile, onto the road, switch on their lights and go away again. So that's just standard intimidation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, you know, ideally they probably would like for you to... Uh 
you know, come running out of your house with a shotgun. That too, that too. Uh, yeah, sure. And luckily that door did bust. If it didn't bust open, I think the the chimney and going into it, the metal one down to the stove would probably just have blown up. Wow. And that stuff could have spread across the house. Yeah. Oh, sure. And I presume, you know, very much like uh, what we've used in Fallujah, uh, Iraq, uh, the, meaning U.S. troops, and uh, what it, it appears that the Israelis are using in, in Lebanon, these, these phosphorus uh, weaponry. Yeah, terrible weaponry. Terrible, yeah. terrible weaponry, yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is this is the age of uh, of humaneness, eh? <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and don't you say otherwise or we're going to mm-hmm. attack. That's it. Well, what are your um, uh, what's your advice to people as far as these things that we've all talked about here today? Uh, how can people take this information? How can they process it? What what should they do with it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, is what about you know in, in our role as, as talk show hosts and researchers? You know, mm-hmm. um, how do we stay safe? Well, you know, what what are the, what are our options? Well, how should we proceed? I think when anything does happen to any talk show. Hosts, they, they must have a, a system where they can get the word out right away as it's happening, if possible. Yeah. Because exposure is what calls them back off. They, they, they don't like to be exposed when they're doing something. Yeah. Uh, they can't stand it. So um, make sure there's a system, a network, to, to get the word out right away. Uh, so that so it's going to get shouted all over the internet as it happens. Yeah. It calls off the dogs. Um, and, and I think too that for the for the individual with the information, uh, don't be put off by the fact that that people cannot understand you. And I, t- I tell them that they cannot understand you because their indoctrination has taken so well with them. They, you're talking a different language. Yes. Uh, these people really, really believe, like Zygmunt Brzezinski said in his book um, Between Two Ages. He said the public shortly will be unable to reason for themselves. The scientific, uh, scientific techniques we've used on them uh, have made them believe that the media is there to do the reasoning for them. So when you're telling them stuff that's not on the media, uh, they, they cannot believe it. They cannot believe it. Uh, if it was important, it would be on the media. They really truly believe that. Yes. So I say it's not that they don't want to understand you, it's that they cannot Right. And so don't waste your time with them. Go on to people who, there are people out there who want the information. They're scattered all over the place. And, and you can put pamphlets and, and laundry mats in different places. And you're surprised at the people who will get in touch with you. Uh, that's, and then when you meet kindred spirits, you don't feel so alone. That's very important. Because this is a heavy weight to have on your mind. We are the last sentient uh, beings left. There will no, there'll be no further generation after this if we let them get their way. We uh, value independence. Now, in the socialist system, they've written in all their documentation, individualism is the ultimate en- enemy. They must eradicate individualism. That's right. And so once that's gone, you have the mass man. They're already training the children in the school uh, in the system of the, of the group and communitarianism. Everyone is subservient to the group. Another idea put out by St. Simon and adopted by the communists, which were funded by the bankers and and the elite of the West. So we must hang on to this individual freedom, individuality, the right to reason and think for yourself and to to be able to express it to others. We have no choice. Yeah, it's, it's so... I guess such a, an 
show host. I, I don't want listeners who are automatons. I mm-hmm. don't want followers. I want people who, and when I read the news, much like all of your, all of the, the things you put out here today, you, you've sourced it. You said this is where it comes from. Who mm-hmm. This guy wrote this. This person said that. Um, it's all on your website. So that's what I, I, I want people to go and do the research for themselves. Don't believe it because I say it. Mm-hmm. Don't believe it because you say it. Believe it because it's, an, it, it's in a conclusion that you came to honestly on your own. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if we believe that, that we're going to be judged uh, by God individually, then why should we not live individually? Mm-hmm. Why should we not... Uh, you know, make every effort to 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 grow or to to be stunted on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I think these are very important points, and and I think they're empowering as well. You know, yeah. we don't need uh, the programming mindset uh, from entertainment, from uh, the churches, from government officials, from law enforcement. We don't need uh, to simply mm-hmm. be um, people who run and cower and hide under the bed and beg for protection and beg for um, you know some degree mm-hmm. of safety. Yeah. Uh, it's a sacrifice. Uh, the, the price is too high for me. It's obviously too high for you. Yeah, living as a drone, uh, yeah. it does not appeal to me. Right. <laughs> That's not living at all. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, just looking ahead here, what do you think is the next major step or event uh, to transpire that we should keep our eye out for? The intensification of this global terrorism. I knew when they brought in uh, and mandated massive quota systems back in the 70s uh, in the U.S., Canada, and all over Europe of countries that were primarily Muslim that were setting up the chessboard in advance for today because they didn't want just a war against the Muslims. They wanted this war to be worldwide. And so they imported the people uh, that they knew eventually would have to stand up when their homelands were attacked and, and their culture. It's a war against Islam. It's a crusade. It's a continuation of the crusades. And, and so realize that nothing happens spontaneously. Uh, these, these guys plan years ahead. They set it all up in advance. And, and then they turn around and say, see, we have so much danger. You've got to give up all your rights and freedoms and let all the experts decide everything to do with your life. Uh, that's how it's set up. We've got to realize this is ongoing. And we've got to stand up and say, no, you can't take these freedoms away from us. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I I, I agree wholeheartedly, and um, you know, when, ever since you know we've looked at uh, at the Rex City Four plan and this idea they wanted to to foster the civil unrest, uh, mm-hmm. the Prophet Muhammad cartoons, the yeah. uh, Quran pages being flushed, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. It's just a, a series of things designed to say, you know, here's the carrot on the stick. Uh, yeah. Anybody want to fight for it? And luckily, most people choose not to. Alan, stay with us if you would. Uh, folks, we'll be back in three minutes. We'll talk about Alan Watt, his website, his products, what's available, and we'll wrap up the big show here, Frankly Speaking Radio, when we return. Welcome back, my friends. Tail end of the fastest four hours in talk radio. I've enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, I would like to give a big, huge thank you to our guest today, uh, his website, www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Please welcome back to the program, Alan Watt. Alan, thank you so much for your, for your experience, for your time, for your genius, and, and for your insight today. It's been very well received. Oh, I've enjoyed it, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have too, very much. Yeah. One of the things I've tried to do myself is, is simply um, 
is not beat people over the head with this information, but just take it and integrate it into uh, into my uh, you know my knowledge base and uh, and have it available when needed. And it's pretty interesting because when things start going crazy like they have as of late, I get a lot of people come up to me and just uh, you know discreetly sort of say, hey. Um, what do you think about what's going on? Which is interesting because, for the most part, uh, I could probably be viewed, you know, as a as a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't, like I said, attack people with it. I just have it available for when they inquire about it. I think that's the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to expand on what you were saying before, um, you have a wealth of, of material and information available at your website. Um, would, would you like to talk about that? Things you got in the works? Uh, how people mm-hmm. can pick this stuff up? Yeah, I've got three books out. Uh, you can buy them in book form, or you can get them on the PDF. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also got uh, a CD with the, the first 12 hours I did in '98 with on the foundations of religions and cultures and uh, esoteric groups and priesthoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also got uh, a DVD just finished. It's out now. Uh, there's music there, there's a lot of talking in there, there's pictures and esoteric meanings that uh, have been put out for the first time, uh, and it's going to be a, a really a really good seller. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's fantastic, my friend. Uh, I love what you're doing. Uh, as we said, the website there, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And uh, your program, would you like to promote that for people? Yeah, I'm on generally on... on uh, Wednesdays on on Sweet Liberty, not every Wednesday, but most Wednesdays, and that's on First Amendment Radio with uh, and it's Jackie Petrus, the host. Okay, mm-hmm. wonderful. And uh, things in the future, any big plans for any any particular areas of research or or whatnot? Uh, probably I'll be putting more DVDs and uh, more books uh, to show the history of this, the esoteric side of history, yeah. which is documented if you can find it. And, uh, and then that's why I try to do is stick to the, the documents by the original people, not about them, but by them, yes. written by them themselves. Absolutely. Then, then there's no debate, you see. Uh, so that will be coming up shortly, too, more of that. It's, that's, I think that's the best way to do it. And, uh, you know, I've said it many times on this program, Alan, that, that I've geared this program specifically uh, to be a show for the skeptic. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, simply put, uh, we, we try to just deal in, in opinion, Based on, uh, on on the facts that are out there, pulled from the same mainstream sources that someone might use to say that I'm crazy or you're crazy or whatever the case may be, uh, they simply have to contend with the the the, uh, the contradiction there that the Washington Times on Tuesday can say something that supports me and the Washington Times from last week maybe supports them. They don't understand. Uh, the difference. So hopefully uh, we can make people think. Hopefully we can open up eyes and ears and hearts and minds. And, and you're doing great things to facilitate that, my friend. And now's, now's the time to do it. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, because who knows how much time we've got. Yeah. And we, my friend, are out of time. Alan, thank you. God bless you and all your hard work. Alan Watt, ladies and gentlemen, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That's going to do it here for our Thursday edition. Tomorrow we'll return in gosh, uh, 20 hours, and we'll, <laughs> we'll do it all over again. Uh, We'll see you then.